How y'all doing? Welcome back to another edition of the Lacrosse Bucket Podcast. Taylor Demling here with y'all. As always, two great guests coming on this week. We have Chaos Head Coach Andy Towers, and we have Chrome Head Coach Tim Sudan. Excited to have both of them on. Two great conversations I had with both of those coaches. And we will get to them shortly, but before we do, brief recap of what went down in the National Lacrosse League over the past weekend. We had games from Friday through Sunday. One game on Friday, one game on Sunday, and three on Saturday for five total games. I believe there's like eight games this weekend, so it's another packed weekend in the NLL coming this weekend. But looking back to last weekend, you had Philadelphia. It was a busy weekend in Philadelphia, uh, or crosswise, with Con in town and the Wings having their home opener. Philadelphia beats Vancouver 18-10. to Halifax beats Colorado 12 to 9. Toronto beats Rochester 13 to 12. Buffalo beats Georgia 16 to 10. And Saskatchewan beats San Diego 12 to 9. Looking at this Vancouver uh, Philadelphia game, you know, this is one that really. Philadelphia, they are on a really good stretch right here. Uh, I believe that's the third consecutive one in a row. They have already, I believe they've either matched or um, are about to match or on the path to doing so, their win total for last season. And really, it feels like everyone in in Philadelphia is kind of, um, they're coming together more as a team. And last year you saw... They played very well, but they would always blow games in the end or couldn't get out of the gate. And they're doing both of those things this season. That's just, it's night and day from what it was last year. And they finally started to put things together for a full 60 minutes. They're playing a full 60 minutes of lacrosse instead of playing one quarter, take a quarter off, and play another one. They're not taking any time off, and they're playing some very good lacrosse right now. And you've seen guys maybe contribute that you might not, especially in this past weekend, you had Blaze Rudin and Josh Currier, each with eight points. I mean, they are getting contributions from everywhere. Uh, Vancouver, on the other hand, I mean, I really don't know what to make of this Vancouver team. I mean, they had all this energy coming into the year. Now you do have the injury to... uh, Nick Bielich, that is obviously very tough to swallow and very tough on the defense. But they're just not looking like, I don't even know, like they started off pretty decent. And Philadelphia went on a couple big runs and Vancouver just kind of balled up and went away. Um, now they were able to, able to, you know, to, to get back into things down the stretch, but the game was already too far gone to force any kind of major comeback. Um, and Philadelphia gets the 18 to 10 win. And, you know, I'm like, they're getting contributions from guys. Uh, it was great to see Joel McCready. Uh, he had three goals and one assist in the game after coming back. I believe that was his second or third game back after tearing his ACL. Uh, last year, and he only played five games last year. Um, so it's great to see him coming back into the fold, and hopefully that, him coming back and being able to do that, gives Vancouver some more options on offense. Uh, Mitch Jones you know, had se- uh, six points. You had Jordan McBride have four points. Uh, Keegan Ball, they held him uh, you know, without any goals. He did have four assists. And it no, it's just not looking like a Vancouver team that we maybe thought they could be this year. 
Um, and Philadelphia, I know, granted, is, is a very hot team right now, but Vancouver, they've got a couple must-win games coming up if they want to stay alive in the West. Colorado and Halifax, this is one where you saw Colorado jump out. And First of all, this is probably the game of the year thus far. Colorado and Halifax, the two hottest teams in the league. Colorado jumped out to a 4 nothing lead. Uh, Chris Wardle, uh, Wardle with two of those goals. Joey Capito scores, I believe it was 15 seconds into the game. Um, gets a feed off the faceoff, and Capito, he's playing out of his mind right now. But Halifax is able to come to come back, and uh, they get the 12-9 to win. And, you know, this Halifax team is really, really good. And the thing that makes them good is their depth on offense because they can get scoring from anywhere. Ryan Banesh, Stephen Keogh, Cody Jamison, Kyle Jackson, Chris Bougie, Clark Peterson, the rookie, he's stepping up. Mike Burke, he hasn't really done a whole, you know, he's maybe been an under-the-radar guy over his uh, lacrosse career. He spent a couple couple seasons, you know, back and forth on NLL rosters. Spent a uh, year or two, I believe, in the Arena Lacrosse League. He's starting to to come to the uh, t- his game is coming up and getting better. He's contributing. He had five assists last game. Graham Hosick, who um, just keeps on getting better and better, is you know maybe not only one of the best defensemen in the league now, but he's starting to show what he can do on the offensive end. He had two goals last week. Including the uh, <clears throat> empty netter that kind of you know, was wasn't really the nail in the coffin as they were already up nine to 11, uh, eleven to nine, but he had the last goal of the game that empty netter that really kind of you know put a lid on things uh, for good. Warren Hill in goal, he's playing fantastic, and there was a time when people maybe thought, you know, Warren Hill's never going to be started in this league. He's playing some good lacrosse right now, people. And Dylan Ward, on the other end, he played a very, very good game as well, and he's one of the best in the world. Moving to Toronto and Rochester, it was 13-12 Toronto. Um, Phil Caputo got the last goal of the game there for, for Rochester, and they had an opportunity at the end to maybe tie the game and send it to overtime, but they ultimately cannot convert. And this was a back-and-forth game the entire way. It was like a teeter-totter just going up and down, up and down. That's what this game was like. Now, there were a couple little runs in there for Toronto, uh, especially one at the end that helped them with uh, Zach Manns and Dan uh, Dan Craig getting two, two consecutive goals there. Uh, that really helped put them over the top, uh, give them that lead late in the game. This was a uh, a good win for Toronto, and uh, they you know they're a team. They've had a couple close games this season, and they're going to have to pull out ones like this. Uh, this also was their second consecutive game uh, against each other, Toronto and Rochester. And I'll say this, you know, both teams, I think, are really um, on the offensive end. When I first watched these teams coming in, uh, in the first couple games, they didn't look cohesive, but they're both doing that now. Uh, Zach Manns, one guy I want to mention, not for Toronto, a rookie. You know, we know know what Zach Manns can do. We saw what he did um, over the summer. He's really coming to the forefront of this Toronto offense. He had five points, I believe, last weekend. Um, and then you couple that uh, in his talent with you know, with a guy like Rob Hellyer who had six points and Tom Schreiber. He, you know, they held him to, three, to one goal and three assists, but Tom Schreiber is still Tom Schreiber. Um, and he's playing decent this year. And Toronto, you know, for all the losses that they've had in, in the expansion draft, 
over the past couple of years, I think it should be noted. Um, they have lost some guys. And they've had some injuries over the past couple of years. But this Toronto team, if they keep winning games and, you know, you know, I've got to see a you know a statement win for Toronto to say they can they can do this they can be a top team in the league, but I think the ceiling right now is pretty high for what they've been able to do. Uh, you know about what three quarters of the way, the one third of the way in uh, into the season right now, and um, Rochester, you know Sean Evans and 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 uh, Holden Katoni are the two guys that. Are really leading this team as expected, and but they're starting to get other people involved as well. I think a lot of it early on with those struggles was it was just those two guys doing all the lifting, and you have to diversify your offense. You have to contribute. You have to have more contributors from all over the floor. Can't just have two guys doing it all, and their defense is looking. Um, much better, much more in sync as well. Craig Wendy, I've been very impressed with what he's done in goal as it looks like they're going with him as the starter uh, at the moment, at least. Probably the biggest surprise of the weekend was Buffalo going into Georgia and getting that 16-10 win. Both teams were coming off of pretty tough losses. Halifax came in and just absolutely demolished Buffalo a few weeks ago. And Georgia, they took a loss to Philadelphia. Who I mentioned is not Philadelphia. That loss may, looks a bit better now than I, I think than it did a few weeks ago, but still a very tough one for them to swallow. Like They couldn't score down the stretch to save their life. Um, they, I mean, they... Or was that... That was the Colorado... Excuse me. But they did lose to Philadelphia. They lost to Colorado. Dylan Ward shut shut the door down the stretch against Georgia a few weeks ago. They did lose to Philadelphia. Um, I believe that was the first or second game of the year. And that loss also, uh, obviously looks much better now. And the Colorado loss is not a bad one either. Uh, but the offense did similar things as they did in the final minutes against Colorado. And that was not due too much. Um, Georgia's offense just is not looking like they usually are. Shane Jackson played very well. Uh, you had Lyle Thompson with no goals. I believe he's been held to like one or two goals, maybe three over the past couple of games. Randy Stotts had six points. So you have guys that are doing things in the wake of, and and Randy Stotts hasn't been overly impressive thus far, and he's really starting to find his rhythm. I think that's a good thing for Georgia. But you can't have Lyle with just four. He had four assists. Now that's good. You can't have Lyle blanked in the goal in the goal category. Um, Buffalo, on the other hand, you know, they've had some injuries, and it's well noted, but they're starting to have some guys step in. Uh, Chris Cloutier played very well. Ian McKay played very well. Corey Small, he only had one goal, but he did have three assists as well. Uh, Probably the one, Dane Smith had five assists and one goal and kind of turned him into a passer over the past couple of games. Chase Frazier, um, I believe he's coming off an injury, came back this weekend, and he uh, absolutely lit it up for Buffalo. Six points, three goals, three assists. Thought he played very well. But Buffalo overall, and I, I got to mention, Matt Vince, he's not going to have two bad games in a row. He did not. And he showed that. Um, But Buffalo, just impressive. They went into Georgia and just took it to him. Saskatchewan, 12. San Diego, 9. This is one Sunday afternoon game uh, in San Diego. Saskatchewan gets 
the 12 to 9 victory. And, you know, Saskatchewan, they're starting to look, you know, I thought may, you know, obviously Saskatchewan is never an easy team to beat, and they proved to be that. Uh, they were able to really get some momentum going. And they got some momentum going early on, and then in the second half to uh, subdue San Diego, who was pushing back all game. Um, this was a fairly tight one, uh, very defensive heavy for uh, good portions of this game. Uh, Evan Kirk with a good game for Saskatchewan. Frank Soliano, I thought he played very well. And really, you know, um, Soliano in goal, I mean, he he stood very tall for the early portion of this game. But it, at, at, at some point, it's just going to start going through. And, um, I mean, that happened uh, in favor of Saskatchewan. And uh, they get the win. Well, Mark Matthews might not have been looking like himself to the fullest extent. Uh, ben McIntosh stepped up, played very well. Now, Mark Matthews did have five assists and one goal, uh, but he hasn't been looking 100% like the Mark Matthews of old um, over the past couple games. But you have a guy like Ben McIntosh that has been stepping up. Ryan Keenan played very well. Uh, just a uh, a good all-around effort for Saskatchewan. For San Diego, you know, you had Connor Fields and Westberg who've been doing the heavy lifting for most of the season. Connor Kunin uh, had three points in this one. Jeremy Noble had two goals and two assists. So things are starting to go up in San Diego where uh, didn't look too pretty through the first bit of the season. Now, this weekend, mentioned there will be another loaded weekend in the NLL. Starts off on Friday night with Colorado at Vancouver. Then on Saturday, we'll have San Diego at, that one's at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time, by the way. On Saturday night, we'll have San Diego at Halifax, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Calgary at Rochester, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Philadelphia at New England, 7 p.m. as well. And the game of the week, free on BR Live, Twitter, and Facebook. Toronto at Buffalo, 7 p.m. Georgia at New York, 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. 8.50 p.m. on Saturday will be Colorado at Saskatchewan. And then on Sunday, Rochester at Philadelphia at 7 p.m. Got all of that out of the way here. Now let's move to my interviews with Andy Towers, head coach of Chaos Cross Club, and Tim Sudan, head coach of Chrome Lacrosse Club. Newly minted head coach, I should say. So, uh, you know, first off, I always ask someone this when they come on the podcast, you know, how did you uh, get started in lacrosse? Um, I grew up uh, in a household with a father who played lacrosse in Long Island at Manhattan High School and, and at Princeton and in the Marine Corps afterwards. And in our house growing up, if, uh, if you wanted to play lacrosse, my dad had you covered. If you wanted to play baseball, you had to buy your own baseball mitt. And I didn't have $40 <laughs> for the Reggie Jackson autographed Wilson baseball gloves. So lacrosse quickly became a household passion for my brother and I. Right. And then, uh, you know, uh, it's been a few months now, but what was your first thought, uh, first thoughts after the first year of the PLL? Uh, you know, I was blown away by how uh, professional it was across the board. I was blown away by the telecast of uh, or the broadcast of mm -hmm. NBC and, and so impressed with Brendan and Paul Burmeister and Brian Boyle and, um, you know, Chantel and, and uh, you know, all of the people that, you know, 
brought it into everybody's household uh, across the country and anybody that had NBC package. Um, you know, the player on the field speaks for itself. I don't think I've ever seen a higher level of play on a consistent basis in my life. I played in the MLL for two years when, when the league first started. I've tried out for the U.S. World Team, uh, you know, two or three times. And I can honestly say that the play during the PLL, try, uh, during the PLL games, uh, you know, rivaled that of the bubble game in the U.S. World Tryouts, which, you know, is uh, is as fast as it could possibly be. Yeah. All right. And then, you know, you had previously the you – know, you had coached in college. What was the kind of uh, – was there a transition to the pro game, and what was the biggest adjustment for you as a coach? Uh, you know, the transition from coaching Division I lacrosse to, to pro lacrosse – was a great one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't coached Division I lacrosse since the year 2014. Yeah, yeah. So to be able to have, you know, four or five years out of that, uh, you know, got me refreshed for sure. Uh, the, the pro game is so much more enjoyable to coach, to be honest with you. Number one, you're coaching men, um, you know, who are playing the game at the highest level, and it's, it's all about lacrosse, and it's all about the league. Um, you know, in college, you really have to – uh, you know, have a really good handle on the recruiting base. You know, that that is the foundation of the success of your mm-hmm. program. And, um, you know, that is, is, is needs perpetual attention. Um, you know, you have to worry about these guys making the right decisions off the field in the fraternities. Um, you know, and you have to worry about their performance in the classroom. And, and when you're coaching, you know, professional lacrosse, obviously you have concern for, the welfare of all the players on your team, but you don't have to, um, you know, manage those other aspects that, that frankly become tiresome or they became tiresome for me over time. And so it's, it's just been a, it's been a a incredible experience to be able to coach the best players in the world on such a grand platform with coverage from a, you know, uh, NBC and uh, and have it be just about lacrosse. And then uh, you know, yesterday the expansion draft protection and unprotection list came out. What was uh, what was your process in uh, creating that for chaos? Well, I, I you know I got two great coaches that I coach with, and, and Matt Panetta who mm-hmm. runs our offense, and Ryan Curtis who runs our defense. And you know what we did is we all constructed a list based on uh, who we thought we should protect and based on um you know the desire mutual desire to keep our entire roster intact you know obviously there's a ton of great players in the world and uh, coach copeland and the water dogs are going to have uh you know an extraordinarily talented team right off the mm-hmm. bat i'm just praying that there are no members from chaos on that team <laughs> uh you know so we really try to construct a protected roster that would minimize the chances of guys getting taken by the water dogs. Now, are we going to lose some guys? Yeah, we'll probably lose some guys. And I have an idea of probably who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm praying it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, you know, we obviously have, uh, you know, a plan in place to be able to soften that fall in the greatest way possible. And, uh, and hopefully be, uh, you know, more successful in 2020 than we were in 2019. Yeah. What was what was uh, one of the toughest decisions uh, for you all? Well, you know, you, you're looking at a roster of, uh, you know, 20 guys that basically dressed for every single game. Mm-hmm. And out of that list of 20, we probably had 16 or 17 guys that played every game for us or, or 90% of the games. And so certainly those guys were all really uh, challenging to leave unprotected you, you know the obvious names you look at um you know miles thompson and and um uh eric scott dane smith and, yeah. and kevin buchanan and pat rash and brody merrill uh kyle mcclancy you know we are fortunate in that matt reese and, and johnny certic were protected due to mm-hmm. their military requirements um you know but equally painful is putting somebody like curtis dixon out there who yeah you know, maybe the best right-handed dodging attackman on the planet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be able to not protect him 
was a really tough decision. But the reality is, you know, we weren't able to get him into a chaos uniform last summer. And even though he was on our team, you know, due to some injuries and some uh, visa issues, and then obviously his uh, summer box playoff mm-hmm. down the stretch of the season, we just could never get Curtis in a uniform. And, and so, you know, I, I felt like it was tough to justify protecting him when he hadn't played a minute for us last summer. But right. certainly it's not lost on us that he's a, an unbelievable player, and, and I'm really hoping that, you know, we, we have him this summer. Um, you know, but look, it, you know, when, they, when, they, when you have such a talented roster to begin with and you can only protect 10 guys and then the 11th is the goalie, um, you know, you're, you're going to leave unbelievable players, some of your best players, unprotected. And unfortunately, we had to do that, you know, but fortunately the other teams all had to do that as well. Right. Last question here. So, you know, as uh, we're in January, February is approaching in college across season, what it, what are some things you're looking uh, forward to uh, during this college season? Well, you know, you look at the success. I do a weekly podcast as well, Tim. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard it. But oh, I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, I've listened to that. A little bit. Um, and so we do it on Division One college across. And so I, I'm, I'm really, number one, really excited to watch the uh, emergence of what I would consider a fourth team out there. You know, I look at the teams going into the 2020 season and I really see Penn State, Virginia, and Yale, mm-hmm. um, you know, as one group. And, and who's going to be that fourth team that steps up? Will it be Maryland? Will they come back? Will Carolina emerge now they got some consistency in the goal mm-hmm. and Kate Johnson and, um, you know, uh, Chris Gray attacked to, to be a true QB that they haven't had since the 2016 season. Um you know, what's going to happen in the Ivy League. Uh, you know, you got so many unbelievable players in the senior class. Who's going to have a great year? Who else is going to emerge that we, you know, aren't necessarily talking about going into the season? And which guys are going to fall off? And, and, and you know, coaching in the PLL and, and certainly being aware of, you know, the draft coming up in uh, – in April, I got to keep an eye on on the great seniors that I think can step in and compete to play right away for us on chaos. Um, you know, but at the same time, just having an appreciation for Division One lacrosse and all that goes into it, I'm anxious to see who that who that fourth team is that's going to emerge. You know, uh, and, and there's a lot of great teams. I, I think there's more depth in Division One lacrosse than there's ever been, and you know, certainly you've got you know, the annual contenders that are there every year in Notre Dame and Maryland and Penn State and Ohio State and Hopkins and, and Syracuse. Um, you know, but to me, you got three teams that really stand alone. And then who's going to be that fourth team that's going to emerge out of that sort of next group of, of eight to 10 to 12 teams? That was my interview with Chaos Head Coach Andy Towers. Now let's move to my interview with newly minted Chrome Head Coach Tim Sudan. Did you get started in lacrosse? So I got started in lacrosse when I moved from <laughs> one side of my hometown of Fairport to the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lacrosse game. It was like just before school started in September. And there was a lacrosse game going on in my side yard because I have the biggest side yard in, in uh, the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I still live here, so right. that's why I say I, I I have the biggest side yard. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so everybody played in the neighborhood, and I was in my sixth grade year, just going into sixth grade, and so I was exposed to it for a year before I started. You know, I tried out for the team, and I probably was pretty lucky I made the team because my stick skills weren't very good, but I liked it a lot. And my middle school teacher. Uh, talked me into going out. I was a baseball guy, so uh, my middle school uh, teacher, phys ed teacher, was the head coach of the varsity team. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, that's that's when it started. Right. And then uh, when did you uh, know you wanted to get into uh, coaching? Um, you know, I had like opportunities to coach when I stopped playing professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just needed it to end. Like I needed, uh, I played, um, four years straight, like 42 weekends a year of lacrosse, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, my son had just turned, um, like two and a half, it was like two and a half years old when I was going to play 
my last season, I was going to play another season of outdoor and I just had, I was just like enough's enough. And I just stopped playing outdoor. And then I played two more years of indoor and they asked me if I wanted to coach after that. And I was like, you know, coaching indoor is different. You gotta mm-hmm. take off so yeah. many days and being a school teacher is, makes it difficult. So, um, but the opportunity arose when of coaching at that, this level, obviously I coached a couple of years at college lacrosse when I was just out of college. And then I've been coaching high school lacrosse since like 2000. Um, but I had the opportunity for the Rattlers to, I think it was 2011, 2010, 2011 to interview for the job. And they were like, I was like, well, who else, who else is interviewing for this job? And they were like, well, B.J. O'Hara. And I was like, well, why don't you hire B.J. O'Hara? <laughs> yeah. I was like, because they called and they called me. And I was like, yeah, I probably can swing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hired B.J. O'Hara and he went 0-6. So I got mm-hmm. a call after their sixth loss. And I was the coach by Monday morning. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do it. And um, the caveat was that I had uh, Coach Monty with me. Um so uh, he's kind of been with me ever since I started coaching at the professional level. And he coached me when I was playing for the Rattlers back in 01, 02, 03, you know. So yeah. um, he's like my best friend from high school and got a lot in common. And he's one of the smartest lacrosse guys I know. So that's great having him around because he, he fills in the spaces I miss, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. I, and then, uh, you know, you were uh, out of coaching professionally for a few years, but uh, what was the uh, attraction to come back to the pro game and take the head coach job at um, uh, Chrome in the PLL? I guess the bottom line is I just missed it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a certain level of juice you get when you're around the best players and um, competing in a professional lacrosse league. Um I love coaching the high school guys. I, I really do. I love watching them get better. But, you know, my ability to make changes on the fly and and be able to draw stuff up and show them on a whiteboard and they be able to go out and execute it in one try um, is just – it's just – it's a lot of fun. The relationships are great. You know, these guys are men, and so I really like it. And the PLL – uh, no, you know, I hadn't gotten a call from the MLL, and I kind of figured I was going to get, you know, maybe picked up prior to that. And I probably would have said no because the whole reason I decided to kind of step away is um, my son was a rising junior, rising senior the last two summers. So um, I just coached his club team and really kind of worked through that recruiting process with him. But, you know, watching the PLL last year, um, I did I did uh, have an interview last year and uh, didn't work out. And they called me back and asked if I wanted to interview again. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of chatter. There's the best players in field lacrosse right now are playing there. And, you know, it's just kind of – it's what I was used to for so many years. Mm-hmm. You know, I played – play at the highest level with the highest, you know, the best guys. And when, when you're not around that, you kind of feel a little empty, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, putting together your staff, you mentioned uh, you and Coach Monty had a previous relationship, but what, in, what went into uh, hiring those two assistant coaches? So I, th- I think the major thing was, you know, if I could have put uh, Coach Warder on the staff, that mm-hmm. would have been my – my first thing I would have done, I don't know if he would have done it. He's got five kids now. Yeah. Um, you know, as I, and, and for him to take a pay cut now that he was in a, a head coach in the MLL, he probably would not have done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nick Fiorentino is my, um, is my son-in-law. Uh-huh. He's the head coach at Geneseo. And during the summertime, we're probably with each other three days a week. 
So Jocko lives literally a mile from my house and Nick's at my house three times a week. It's the proximity of just like, hey, come on over. Yeah. And we can watch film together. Like, we, we have some advantages, I think, that other people don't have. Um, Nick's passion for the game is is second to none. He puts so much time in, and he's really, really on top of things. And he's a, he's a younger guy that I can say, okay, I want you to run the box and be focused on that, and he'll do it. Um, I, I like being having some say in what's going on in the offense, but he'll support me in that role and probably work, you know, with the guys on man up plays, that type of thing. And, and, you know, for the most part, I'll run offensive scheme and that kind of stuff. So, um, he's just super happy to be involved and it's a really good situation, uh, you know, from a relationship standpoint, um, and the ability to get together, you know, anytime is, is an advantage, I would say. And then, you know, uh, yesterday we saw the expansion draft protection and unprotection list uh, get released, you know, especially as a as a coach and a whole staff that did not coach the team last year. What was that process for you all in uh, making those lists? So it was difficult, to be honest with you. Um, we watched a lot of film. Um, Coach Monty started at the end of the season. I started at the beginning, and Nick watched probably every game. <laughs> and we just came up with our thought process that involves, you know, how are we going to create the best culture first and then put the best players in there. Mm-hmm. And there were some tough calls. And um, But at the end of the day, you know, our biggest – Thing that we have to improve on is our defense yeah. um, and the stats show it and the film shows it so um, we decided to keep uh, Donowski because Donowski is a guy that demands respect from the other guys or doesn't demand it he just gets respect yeah. from the other guys he's a winner um, he's going to be a on field coach and He's still hungry to play. Um, and having that guy that can help um, coach while he's on the field and help, you know, help talk me through through things and stuff, um, I tap into the guys. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that is what I do. Um, I ask them their input. You know, what's the best offenses we should run? You know, what are you guys most successful at? And then we, we create offense around that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm going to lean on him a little bit, uh, to, you know, help me with some, some of the personalities that are out there. Um, so I, I think, I think he's going to be a, a great ad and, you know, like I said, defensively, we need to get better. Um, I, I kind of feel like we're going to get most of our guys back. Mm-hmm. Um, they were some difficult conversations, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm trying to create a foundation here that, um, we're able to, to build from. And, you know, we're, we're the best two and eight team of all time. <laughs> even, yeah. even with a, even with a, a defense that's, they were, they were built of a bunch of really, really good players, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of them up in age, some of them, you know, haven't maybe they hasn't they haven't touched field in a couple of years or whatever. But, um, you know, just even if we ended up with the same group with Coach Monty at the helm and add one really good defenseman, we're going to be in really good shape. Um, but we have to get better in transition defense and, you know, getting our offensive guys off the field in a timely manner or getting them in the hole so we play six on six. There's too many, too many unsettled goals last year that mm-hmm. um, made it really hard to win games. You know, you're losing in overtime, and you had two situations where we didn't get back in the hole, and we gave up easy goals. So, um, I I have the luxury of having the film and being able to look back at it and make some changes in the roster that is going to prevent that kind of stuff. And you know, hopefully, we coach him up to a point where 
they're really well-oiled machine and and ready to ready to operate. So um, the rest of the the rest of the decisions were easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the attack um, we're probably going to run Donowski attack mostly with Wolf and Gutterding. Those those are not not a question. The three yeah. most effective midfielders we had, uh, Karate, Rannigan, and McIntosh are no brainers. Um, the Will Haas kid is one of the best B middies in the league. That's a mm-hmm. no brainer. Joe White is still at the top of his game as right. far as I'm concerned. And you know, I got on the phone with Galloway early, and I, I said, "How do you feel physically?" And he was like, "Coach, I'm like in the best shape of my life." I was like, "Well, how do we fix you mentally? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, psychologically to." to get yourself back at, to be the best goalie in the world. Like he, yeah. he's not far from that. Mm-hmm. He's really not yep. far from that. And having a wedding last year and, you know, expecting to retire before last year. And then all of a sudden the PLL came along and, and he wanted to support it. And he just, you know, it, it was difficult. And then after going on five, then it's really difficult to keep your head in it. So mm-hmm. he's really excited and he's working hard. He's already started training and, um, and then, you know, Connor Farrell, you don't even have to talk about him. Yeah. He's super successful last year. And, you know, that's, a, that's one of the spots where you have to, you have to be really good to actually contend for a championship at the end of the year. So. Right. And then, uh, you know, you have a familiarity with, uh, many of these players having coached them, uh, with the Latlos. Do you think that gives you an advantage, uh, coming in? Yeah. Uh, so such a big advantage mm-hmm. actually um like i have personal relationships with all these guys we've mm-hmm. stayed in touch over the last two years um they're i know how they play um i'm really familiar with putting them in the spots that they can be most successful um you know that that, that relationship's really important um spent a lot of time on and off here on the phone with uh Gutterding and some of the other guys I don't know as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're developing a relationship, but that's not going to be hard. He's a great kid and and he works really hard. And you know, so I that I think it's a no brainer. I think it's a you know we're going to continue to try to you know pick up guys that make us better at every position. And I've already had those conversations with those guys. Like, hey, we're going to try to get better at every single position. And if that means that your role changes, then it means your role changes. So, um, and they appreciate that because they know, they know that it's a competitive league and, you know, there's a lot of guys interested in playing in this league now. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see an influx of players from uh, the other two leagues, the indoor and, and the MLL coming our way this year. And, you know, hopefully we can benefit and, be in a position to like offensively we can compete for a championship we have to we have to figure out um the transition piece and the defensive end and we get that but you know solid solid and you know we we can be effective defensively then we're going to be more effective um offensively so and then you know uh with the the different rule set in the uh pll you think there's anything, uh, you know, coaching wise that, uh, you have to adjust your style to, uh, to kind of play to the rules? You know, I've been watching a lot of film and, and I remember like being aggravated that we didn't get our guys on. So there was like 20 seconds left in the shot clock back Mm -hmm. when there was a 60 second shot clock. Yeah. But cutting that 10, 10 yards out of the middle of the field makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at Chrome offense, and by the time they have all six guys on after transition and um, you know switching personnel, they're still looking at 27, 26 seconds on average of, of uh, offensive time. So I don't think that piece, I think the, the two-point line – is really interesting to me because the comfort level for guys to step into 15 versus step into 16 
is way different. Mm-hmm. Um, each yard you get away from it, like you need a little bit more pop on your yeah. shot, or you have to be a really, really good shooter, hide your stick, throw it to a, you know, a spot he's not going to expect, and you know, a little misdirection there. But um, I think it's different how you play defense with that 15-yard arc. You have to use it as where you put your heels, not like in the – we used to have their toes on it. I think their heels are – they have to step out in front of that. Um, but it, it really comes down to like, hey, let's play six-on-six. Six. Mm-hmm. We get picked, beat six-on-six six and we play our best game, they deserve to win. But when you give up two, three transition goals a game, you know, and you're not getting them, I mean, that's another thing for us is to how do we get better at scoring transition goals? Um, you know, defensively, you know, we might look to, you know, put some guys on the roster that can actually, that are big, big guys in transition. So, um, so taking kind of all that into account as we look at the uh, entry draft and the waiver and then the college draft. So it's exciting. I want to thank both Andy Towers and Tim Sudan for coming on the show this week. Uh, great conversations there with both head coaches following the PLL expansion draft protected and unprotected list coming out on Monday. I will link those down in the show notes as well as the uh, reaction podcast I did to those lists coming out. Now, before we wrap up here, um, I do want to go over some recent news that has come out of the MLL Major League Lacrosse and um, some pretty major changes ahead as they go into the 20th season of the league here in 2020. So, the biggest one is they're restructuring their ownership model, business model, whatever you want to call it. They're going to a single entity ownership, meaning the league will operate all six teams. They're also heading towards a Northeast model. And uh, Atlanta Blaze, Denver Outlaws, Dallas Rattlers will no longer be in those cities. They're moving all to northeast cities. Uh, we, there are reports that Atlanta is moving to Philadelphia. Uh, the locations have not been announced yet. That's the only report that we have out there right now. The league will also be moving to a 10-game schedule. So, um that is much shorter than they had last year. I believe they had, what was it, 15, 16 game schedule last year. So they're pushing back a bit. Um, you know, over the weekend, I had heard of some potential major changes coming concerning ownership model and, and things of that nature. And then on Monday, you had Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capital Gazette report that the Chesapeake Bayhawks owner, Brendan Kelly, ceded his ownership back to the league. And um, they quoted Kelly in the article, and essentially what he what he said was, you know, owning the team now is basically being a, a member on the board and an investor and not necessarily an owner. And that's something he didn't want to do. Um, I do have a source that told me the Denver Outlaws, well, I guess they're not called the Denver Outlaws anymore, the Outlaws uh, ownership has been ceded to the league as well. If you remember, uh, the Outlaws have been owned by the Denver Broncos, uh, that family and uh, the Broncos owner passed away back in the fall. The ownership of the teams were left to his estate. Um, I believe it was his children. 
who said his family did not want to continue with DMLL, ceding the ownership back to the league. Um, And I'll link the article down in the show notes as well. But a lot of changes coming to MLL. Also expect a lot of players to be jumping from the MLL to the PLL. Um, I know on record a couple players that are going to do so. Um, And you will see some announcements coming over the next few months, uh, the PLL will have a, uh, believe they're calling it a new player draft. So that is um, going to be interesting to see what happens here in 2020, not only with the MLL restructuring and doing, making all these changes, um, but you know, how how many players make the jump. And, um, you know, there is a, a decision to be made by a lot of these players of, you know, you can play MLL and you might play more and be a star, or you can go to PLL where there's a chance that you might not dress or play for every game. And again, like, depending on which team you get on, um, things could go differently in you know, various situations. So a lot of tough decisions for a lot of really great players out there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out over the next couple months and really over the next year or so. I would not be surprised if we're sitting here next year talking about more potential changes in the professional cross landscape on the field side of things. That is it for this week's edition of the cross bucket podcast. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at lacrosse bucket on all of those different mediums. Lacrosse bucket.com where it's always lacrosse season.